This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode is from the leadership journey in season one, which was in 2017, our first year of the podcast. In this one, we talk about dealing with stress, and certainly this is something that can be talked about at any time of the year. We did talk about it towards the end of the season and brought up some things that are important to think about and talk about as you wind things down and head into preparation for your next season. So let's take a listen to this one from the leadership journey with Brian Kite. We are here for episode number eight, week number eight of the leadership journey. And we're joined by our guest host for this segment, Brian Kite. Brian, it's great to have you here this week. Keith, I'm looking out my window and I see the leaves just starting to turn towards fall because it's it's uh, that time of year. But man, the weather is still nice and warm and crisp. It's a great time for ball and I'm glad to be with you. Well, Brian, we've put a lot of focus uh, on this leadership journey on a lot of things that happen on the field, a lot of the interactions between players and coaches. And I think what we talked about this week is is we want to really focus on just the coach and some of the things that he's having to deal with going through the course of the season, uh, the stress that goes along with it. Um, you know, again, you look at uh, the coaches out there have been, probably been doing this since January. This has been uh, a journey for them that started at the beginning of the year, and and now they see maybe off in the distance a couple weeks left. Uh, I, I can get there. They feel like maybe I just need to survive this, and I think we want to avoid that. That's something we want to talk about. That we don't want to survive this. We want to really we make the most of the opportunities we have ahead of us, especially uh, as as we think about finishing up and being the best that we can be because we got some young men that we're going to be sending off in the world and we're ending our interaction with them in a couple of weeks as well. So, um, but we're going to focus yeah. on the coach and the, you know, dealing with that kind of stress and, and uh, how we can uh, become the best version of ourselves moving forward. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, that example scenario. And without knowing how many people listening now are, are in that spot of the season where it's, survival mode i can i can appreciate and i can i can recognize you know coaches teachers administrators uh, business people at different times of the year depending on what's going on i mean even at the personal level sometimes we get towards the end of the calendar year and the holiday season it feels like survival time just for that you know especially right. if you got your in-laws in town and <laughs> So I, I appreciate that. And I guess the starting point that I hear there, Keith, is we would never accept that 
from an athlete. As a coach, we are looking for in every drill, in every exercise, in every conditioning, in every game, uh, in every lift, right? You're, you are primed as a coach to look for and eradicate the attitude and the corresponding behavior patterns of just survive and get through it. And why, why, do, we, why do we eradicate that? Why, why outside of building a good culture on the team and all that stuff, you've been a coach, I've been a coach. Why are coaches, and I'm gonna, this, uh, the starting spot for this is recognizing the pattern a little farther away from us, and then let's bring it to the coach. Why are we so primed to look for other people, especially if it's on the team, in that survival mode? Why are we so primed to look for that and then so quickly call it out, eradicate it, push it away? Why do, why do we do that? Why, why do you think? Why do you think it's so easy to see in other people and we don't ever let that stand? In fact, it, like, it almost violates something wrong inside of us when we see in other people. Why? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true of, of what we do in coaching. Uh, you know, honestly, Brian, I, I think it's something we don't want to a- admit is in us that we feel that it's a weakness maybe to start feeling like that and, uh, and you know, just to feel like, geez, I want to get to the end of it. And, and the reality of it is it's something that we have to deal with throughout the season. Um, quite potential, you know, the potential is that we, we put so much energy into it at the beginning and maybe we weren't balanced with how we approached it. You know, I, I look, and I know you, your, your father certainly talks about John Wooden all the time and what he tried to get out of his people was, you know, not this roller coaster of emotions throughout the season, but something that was balanced that kept you balanced the whole way through. So I, I think a, a lot of guys, and hey, it's exciting. You know, beginning of the season is exciting. It's exciting to get out there for the first time, you know, and, and as you're going through it, the winning, you know, the winning that builds up is exciting. And sometimes you have those letdowns, and then all of a sudden it's like some of that stress maybe that's been there creeps into your attention. So I, I don't know that uh, we're very good at, at maybe managing it at the beginning. And we certainly don't want to, we certainly don't want to see that in ourselves as a, a weakness. No, we don't. And that, I wasn't even going to that word. That, that's interesting. You point that out. So let's take the word weakness. When you see a player and I'll, we'll, we'll just sort of, this, maybe this is the last time we'll talk about players here today. When you see a player just trying to survive, it looks weak. Right. It really does, doesn't it? It, it does. looks weak. And you know when you see that player doing that just survive, just get through it, it not only looks weak, but you also know the player is not getting anything out of that rep or that time or what it is that they're doing. They're not growing and improving, which any coach who's even the most basic coach who's in the game in any way wants to help other people get better. And they like to see people perform. So I think we call it out in other people because of those two reasons. And then you point out the first one. Uh, um, and I'm glad you did that. I don't think I would have caught that right now. It, it's, we see it as weakness and we're always trying to put people in positions of strength. And number two is we recognize that that is not going to do anything for you. You're, you're, the, the, the survival, just get through it mindset, it, not only is it not going to do anything for you, it's going to hurt you. So you have to get out of that. You've got to go push harder. And so that's why we prime to it uh, watching other people. So let's just apply those two things to ourselves. When 
we allow that kind of emotion and when we allow that kind of <clears throat> that kind of internal mental self-talk and we allow that kind of attitude to start perpetuating inside of us, um, that's the real form of weakness. Uh, understanding your emotions, acknowledging that you have stress, asking for help with managing stress, those are all signs of strength. Those are all signs of the willingness to be, first, the strength to be self-aware and honest, and then second, the strength and courage to do something about it. Weakness comes from the acting like you're not doing it or not having uh, the courage to be self-aware or lacking the courage to tell somebody else, hey, I'm struggling here, whether that somebody else is a colleague whether that somebody else is a friend or whether that somebody else is, is your significant other to say, Hey, I'm really struggling. If for whatever reason you're struggling and to say, I I'm, I'm either not sure what to do or I'm exploring a couple different approaches and strategies for how I'm trying to get through the season or, Hey, I'm struggling with this one or two people, whatever it would happen to be. Uh, that's a, that's a very human experience. So that's, I think the first thing that, that, that we need to recognize as coaches is that if you're in that spot, Job number one is get out of that spot, not get out of that spot by making the circumstances better, get out of that spot by making yourself better. Yeah, I think that's the key. That's the only thing you have control of there. Um, there's going to be a lot of things in the circumstances that you don't have control of. You may have, you know, uh, a, a person you've had to deal with all season long who's been difficult. You know, you can you can work on changing those circumstances, their behaviors, but it's going to be a, a long road to do that. Um, you're better off looking at how you can change the way you think about those things. As, as I mentioned before, you know, the, the danger in, in all of this, in trying to just survive something, is you're missing out on a lot of opportunity uh, to become a better person. And obviously, the biggest reason we get into this is to impact others as well. It is, and... and- I, I, that's why the topic of this episode, handling stress, is the is the start because there's not <laughs> every coach loves the highs of the game. Whatever it is that whatever it is that lights your fire, uh, that's why you're in the game. Whether that whether what lights your fire is wins and losses, which for a lot of coaches is you know start, a lot of a starting point. Uh, whether what lights your fire is seeing a young person improve, whether they started from rep number one on a football field where the helmet still looks awkward on them. You know, <laughs> that's always the funniest thing in football is you can always tell who's new to football just by looking at their level of comfort wearing a helmet. Mm -hmm. That's always, that's always the number one thing. It's always, it doesn't matter how far away from the game you've been. You can come back on the football field and say, you can just look from afar. That guy's new. That guy's new. <laughs> that guy's new. Uh, that's true. But, you know, a lot of people. A lot of people are in the game because they they like, yeah. You know, they've been coaching for a while, maybe, and they they've won and lost a bunch, and now, you know, what really turns them on about the game is uh, is getting a young person to improve, building up their contact courage, getting them, you know, getting them uh, uh, bigger, stronger, faster, seeing their self confidence go up in their social world because of what they're able to do in the football world. 
Um, other times, you know, coaches like game planning and they like the competitive side of it and scoring points and all that stuff. Every, every point being all the coaches in the game know what it is that lights you up. That's the awesome part of the game. However, the other half of the game is where you really make your money. You really determine your true success. Uh, it's where you are a champion or you are a runner up. It's where you are consistently uh, performing elite or whether you're an also ran and you're sitting on the mountain of average. And that is how do you handle the stress side? I, I already know. I don't even have to know your name while you're listening right now, wherever you are in your car or working out or mowing your lawn or in your break between periods. I don't even need to know your name, but I know that you have parts of this game that you love and there's parts of this game and this job of coaching that stresses you out that you don't handle well. I already know that because that's the same for everybody. The, the, the problem with that, Keith, and why I wanted to do this episode is that coaches need to spend more time understanding emotions, where they come from, what they do, the way they work, and how they affect you. We especially need to talk about it as American males who are competitive in sport. We need to be as a sport and then coaches being the leaders in that sport of football. We just need to be more detailed and rigorous in how we study and train emotions. Because if not, the whole point of stress, if not, Stress and emotions are going to put you at risk and they're going to expose you to negative outcomes, some of them irreversible, and they could crush you. And there's, there's a lot of people listening right now who've been carrying around a certain pattern of stress, honestly, Keith, for 10 years, 20 years. For some of them, you're, you, know, you might be a young coach and you might be, you know, you might be 30 and you're carrying habits that you just happen to have built in managing and dealing with stress at 18 and they worked, you know, where they didn't work, but they just became patterns and you built them up between 18 and 25 and you got coaching and now you've kind of brought them into your first five years of your coaching pattern and they're not really working for you, but you're just in the pattern and you hardly even recognize it. And you've got an entire pattern of how you deal with stress and it's potentially causing problems. Some of which, you know, already for sure. And some of which you're not even aware of how they affect relationships, how they affect your performance, how your athletes are processing and filtering you, let alone just, you know, the experience all of us have. And I know, and I know you've had this, we haven't talked about this, but I know you've had this and you can talk about it, but you go to bed at night and you put your head down on the pillow and, you know, maybe you're physically exhausted, maybe you're not, but you put your head down on the pillow and then all of a sudden all those thoughts and emotions and stress for whatever reason, they're like, oh, you're trying to go to sleep? <laughs> let me just go ahead and let me just come in here and overwhelm you with thoughts and scenarios and opinions and all the potential things to do. And then let's consider the infinite options for what might happen next. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know that moment when you – and that ends up affecting us way more than the game does. I mean the game has a start and a finish. Your emotions – and how you process stress, it, it's much longer and much more important than the game itself. So 
this is what I want people to understand. What I really want people to understand. Well, first, let me before I before I kind of go into all right. Okay, there's there's the there's the groundwork. So first, I want to make sure that everybody listening understands that I understand where you are. Some of you are better at that. Some of you aren't real good at that. Some of you emotions are really interesting, but I, I do want to caution you. There's a lot of BS about there about emotions, and if you've read new recent popular books, there's a really good chance you're caught up in it. Others of you listening right now, the last thing you want to talk about are emotions. Maybe you didn't even click on this episode and you're not listening at all, and I wish you would, but some of you listening right now, you know, emotions are not your strong suit for talking about and dealing with. And I just want to let you know, uh, I get it. I've experienced about every range of the spectrum you can imagine, both in the coaching world and out. And there's things to do that don't require you to get fluffy, right? They don't require you to get you know, awkward and doing trust balls and hugs and all that stuff, you know, go hug after a touchdown. You know, this is about rolling our seeds up and doing the mechanics of, of dealing with what's going on inside of us so that, that we can make emotions work for us. Stress doesn't crush us and that we can turn stress into a, and here's, here's a great way to think about it, Keith, I'm pause and kind of let you respond sort of to that little rant there. Here's a great way to think about it. You've heard of, you've heard of a uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. You've heard of that PTSD, they yeah. call it, right? Well, well, there's a there's a growing body of research, and I don't think we need research to say this one because PTSD is real, right? It, and it's and it's dangerous, and we're we're understanding more about it. Um, and and for a long time, we acted like you know we used to call it, uh, I say we, the 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 field, uh, and the military used to call it. Um, what do they call it? They called it. Uh, some kind of shock or uh, I'm blanking on the term. It was, it was really popular in world war two um, battle fatigue, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we, and then we, and then we, and then we, we got smarter and, you know, science improved and we started studying the brain and all kinds of different things. We found out, Oh, P, this is PTSD. This, this was a, in E plus R equals O terms, this was a response to the event of stress as a trigger and it's what the brain does as a coping mechanism to process an overwhelming amount of stress it does these things and it ends up being really harmful but if you watch if you look around not everybody responds to stress at least from the outside in in the same way right, right. so e plus r equals o says stress is in the e or the or the e is it has certain dynamics uh and stress comes into your world okay but what if we turned as an option, what if we said, all right, if I have a say in this, what if I didn't say post-traumatic stress? What if I turned it into post-traumatic growth? As an example, uh, you ever lift, squat? I was talking with a college buddy the other day. You ever squat in, in, when you were playing, Keith, where you, like, it was like you'd taken time off and you came back and you squatted heavy or you did lots of reps? And you couldn't walk for like the next week. Yep. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's post-traumatic stress. Okay. You do that and, and your legs are like, Oh my God. And you can't even move and everything hurts to breathe. Okay. But what you keep squatting, keep squatting, putting yourself into more and more and more stress and you practice your form and you get really good. And then your muscles grow and you develop and you figure out how to get good. What happens the more you squat over the next six, eight, 12 weeks, what happens? What happens to your muscles? They're going to get bigger. They're adapting. They're becoming they get, stronger. Yeah. They get bigger. They get stronger. They get more flexible. 
they build better skill of patterns and how they respond with that much weight and stress being placed on them and what happens to your soreness level as the weeks go forward. It's going to decrease significantly. Yeah, and the weight that you can carry goes what way? It's going to increase. There you go. So look what happens. When we, when we look at it as post-traumatic growth and not post-traumatic stress, the trigger can often be the same, and we don't need our world to say get better, but we start processing it differently because we have new skill sets and we do use the proper form. And next thing you know, our ability to carry it goes up while the strain goes down. So we actually put ourselves under more stress in order to get more growth in the weight room. And the same thing is true of any physical principle, right? You, 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 if you're a runner or a swimmer or whatever it happens to be, that's what you do. Um, so we want to do the same thing in our coaching life with emotions. Does that, does that, um, one, does that recognition first of coaches need to talk about and really study with more rigor and detail emotions and need to train them better? Who does the analogy of post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth? Do those two things, you know, make sense? Any, any thoughts on those? Well, I think you pointed out something that's important in this whole, um, field that there are a lot of those things that feel real um fluffy that uh you know you, you know as a as a coach or a teacher you end up having to go to some workshop where they put you in a trust fall or they they have you talk about things that you're like yeah you know this feels really artificial but i, I think the way you framed it here is is very important we do need to deal with those things and i i really like the idea of saying that it's it's post post traumatic growth i think um i think ultimately we can frame it that way, understand like, hey, it's okay to deal with these things. We have to deal with these things. It's an important part of, of the game. And ultimately, those who uh, reach the elite level of, of coaching, and I don't, mean, um, I don't mean being a pro or anything. I mean being the best coach you can be are the guys who can deal with those things very well. Yeah, and I, I want to make I want to make this point so so we're we're really clear. Um, you know, when it comes to PTSD, uh, that you got to process that with a trained medical professional. That is a very that's a yes. serious serious issue for people to deal with. And I don't want to I don't want to give off in any way, shape, or form that I'm saying oh PTSD is just you know you're not processing it correctly and, and going that, going that far. What, what I right. wanted to make, what the point I wanted to make is that, is that, you know, what we're finding and what people are seeing in PTSD is that if you train people, a lot of the cases of PTSD can be mitigated and they can be improved upon by helping people grow from it. Now there's a whole process that people go through and again, train medical professionals and all kinds of stuff. We're talking about a, a, a different scale, right? What we're talking about is, the stress of competitive game, your job, dealing with teenagers, you know, oftentimes, you know, in a, in a male dominated sport, uh, it's alpha males with emotions everywhere, but few people ever really want to talk about them in a real way, which is, which is interesting because emotion is such a, like, if you were to say football had, if football had three components, emotion is one of the three components of football. And yet we don't want to talk about it as, <laughs> as men. We don't want to lay it on there. Really interesting. What I, what I want to make sure is that, is that stress doesn't have to crush you. Stress doesn't have to dominate you. You don't have to hide from it. So let's start here. Okay. Let's start at this spot. A couple of foundational principles. 
emotion is not weakness. To the extent you are positioning emotion as weakness, stop. Just stop. Okay? Second, emotion is not good or bad. What it moves you to do is discipline or default, effective or ineffective, skillful or or unskillful and resistant. Emotion is a tool. Okay? All emotion is is a tool. Every emotion serves a purpose. The big emotions are love, joy, fear, anger, sadness, guilt, and shame. Okay, there's, there's, there's seven, and there's different camps of different things, but there's seven, seven big emotions that we all have that everything else is just an iteration or a, 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 a more narrow uh, or broad version of love, joy, fear, anger, sadness, guilt, and shame. Every one of those serves a purpose. Guilt serves a purpose. The purpose of guilt as an emotion is to require you to come face to face when you did something that you, didn't, you don't think aligns with either one, who you are, or two, the greater good to which you know you serve. That's, what, that's the purpose of guilt. Okay? Now, guilt can work for you when you act out of alignment with the value system you declare. Okay? You, you, uh, uh, you told somebody you would do something for them, but then at the last second, something cooler came along and, you know, you just didn't want to do it because you wanted to watch the game or, or something. And so you told your friend, oh, hey, uh, you know, my car broke down. When in reality, you're just sitting on the couch, you know, drinking a beer, watching a game and you feel guilty about it the next day. Well, that guilt, the purpose of it is because, well, you said you're this kind of a person, but now you just did this activity. Your emotions are telling you, hey, BK, that's a problem, okay? That, that guilt is a warning sign when it's working for you. When it's on the wrong side, guilt is something that people hold over your head to try to tell you who you should be. Does that, do you follow the difference between those two? Yep. Guilt is, is somebody telling you who you should be, where, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'm, you know, we finish this podcast, and next thing you know, I'm like, you know, Keith, you know, you really should have said this on that, and, you know, you really put me in an awkward position on that podcast, Keith. And what I do is now I try, to, I try to inject that to you to try to trigger guilt. Why? To try to make you behave the way that I want to. And then if you're stuck on default, maybe you absorb that from me, and then you go around, and you're like, man, maybe I'm not good at this, whatever it happens to be. Next thing you know, you have an emotion that's inside you that isn't serving an effective purpose, not because guilt is wrong, but because it wasn't the right tool for the time or we didn't process it correctly. So – Every one of these, you know, and, and the, the, the three big ones that, that are worth thinking of for every coach, and, and this is something that my dad and I have talked about for a really long time, and we've taught, you know, I mean, as long as I can almost remember, is take the big three of those emotions, uh, uh, fear, anger, and love, okay? Fear, anger, and love can all work for you, and they can all work against you. When you're afraid in the right way, you avoid uh, unnecessary risks. You, you know, put yourself in positions of safety, not positions of danger. But when you're afraid of making a mistake, it causes you to not try things you need to try. When you're afraid of losing, it causes you to coach and call a game and play tight and therefore not put yourself in a position to win. When you're angry in a disciplined fashion, it can cause you to have a conversation with somebody that you need to have when you're angry in the right way and in a disciplined way it can cause you to have a conversation with somebody that you need to have 
and to tell them what it is that you're feeling and the problem that got created. And it can be a, a really good trigger. Feeling the anger can be a good trigger to go have the conversation. But if you're angry in a default way and you carry that stretch around, next thing you know, somebody asks you a question who had nothing to do with the situation and you treat them poorly because you're full of anger that you haven't released. You're full of anger that you, that you feel like you need to get out of you. And so you just, you take it out on somebody else or you, know, you yell at somebody because you're just mad and you don't have a smarter, skillful way to communicate anger. And so what you do is you go with the crude tool of yelling and screaming because you're just, you lack skill and you lack discipline to push it out that way. And then love. And this is interesting because if I ask you, Keith, I ask a lot of audiences, and I'll just ask you as representative of the audience. Is love a discipline or default emotion? Wow. Haven't thought what's, of it what's that your way. Gut, what's, your, what's, your gut, what's your gut tell you? If I say love, is love discipline or is love default? What, what, what immediately would you say? I, I, as compared to say, as compared to say uh, uh, fear. Fear, would you say, is what kind of emotion? Discipline or default? Uh, default. Default, and therefore love is what kind of emotion? Well, you would think discipline, but I could see how love could be a default as well. There you go. So when I ask people love, fear, anger, I, I kind of run through those emotions with people, and I ask them before I teach anything, hey, I want you to tell me whether it's discipline or default. And everybody right away, you know, love, discipline, joy, discipline, fear, oh, that's default. Anger, default. You know, sadness, you know, you might have a little mixed crowd. Guilt, oh, default. Shame, oh, default. But, but they're not. They're not either one. And, and, and I already walked through fear and anger, but look at love, which we, we think is this great emotion, and it is because if it's loving your kids, if it's loving your spouse, if it's loving the games, if it's loving your hobby, if it's loving the town you live or your parents, whatever it is, it, it, it moves you towards things, and it brings you closer to the stuff you care about, and that's awesome. But what if your love is directed at something that's not good for you? That's what awesome. if your love… Yeah. What if your love is of alcohol? I mean, let, let's let's go straight to it. What if your love is for chewing tobacco? Right. The desire for it and the wanting to bring close to it brings you closer to something you probably need to eradicate from your life and take away. Yep. You know, if your love is for you know TV shows, I like TV shows. Right, but love unchecked, it goes down to the default. Next thing you know, you're watching 20, 30 hours of TV a week, and you're filling your mind with something that's not helping you. So, the starting point for emotion and dealing with stress that's relevant for coaches is to understand emotion is not weakness, it is not good or bad. Every emotion is a tool, they serve a purpose. The question is, are you being aware? And then are you bringing skill to the purpose the emotion serves? Are you steering love and joy and anger and sadness and guilt and shame? Are you sure that they're working for you? Right? If, you're, if you're ashamed of a way that you behaved in a game or towards a player or towards your spouse, that's a really important message to the extent you're willing to be honest about it and then say, why do I feel that shame? Well, because that's not who I am. I need to use this trigger, this moment right now with this emotion, not to get stressed and bury it and act like it's not there, but to acknowledge it first to myself, maybe to somebody else, right? Whoever it is that you're dealing with, and then say, I'm going to close the gap between how I behave and who I say I am, because this emotion says that I need to do that. That's really good. You don't need to carry the stress. 
You need to let that emotion and the stress it brings out trigger action that makes you a better version of who you are. Brian, with, uh, with that idea in mind, you know, going back to that situation we talked about uh, and kind of at the beginning set up that situation where coaches feeling some emotion. Maybe he knows exactly what it is that, that's bothering him. Or maybe he doesn't, but he's just trying to get to the end of this, just tra- trying to survive. What are the three things you want that coach to do right now so that he can, he can finish this the right way, that he can be the best version of himself? I'm going to give you three that triggers a fourth, okay? Three things. You need to recognize the patterns of content in your focus, in your self-talk, and in your feelings. Those are the three, focus, self-talk, and feelings. And then the fourth is to what extent are those triggering patterns of action in you? Let me, let me tell you what I mean. You need to recognize the patterns you're currently engaged in in your focus, the things you're seeing and paying attention to. You need to recognize the patterns that you're paying attention to, or I'm sorry, the patterns of self-talk, what you're thinking, the stuff you're saying to yourself all day. Just that work right there on those two. Asking yourself, what am I focusing on? Where is not, not what should I be focused on? What am I actually focusing on? An example of this, Keith, that is accessible. And then what am I focused on? And then what am I, what am I telling myself? Here's what that might sound like for a coach who's in this position. You ask yourself this question, what am I focusing on? And you realize you are looking at the schedule and you are focusing on all the hard teams that you have left to play and all of the weeks that you have left in this season. And it's causing you a big, huge concern and stress because the self-talk you're engaging in once you give your focus to all the games you have to play and all the good teams left is we're not ready for that. We're going to get our tails kicked. You know, the players don't really want to practice hard. I don't have the support I want from the boosters. That's why we're in this position. Boom. Next thing you know, giving your focus to the next six weeks and eight weeks is triggering a bunch of self-talk about how potentially bad and negative it's going to be. And then all the reasons why it was there and the past that brought it to this spot. Next thing you know, you're feeling a certain way. You're emotionally and physically, you know, drained or angry or, or, or guilty for things you didn't do in the past, whatever it would be. Now, all of a sudden, because you feel that way, what you do and how you do it, it's sub-optimized. You're physically drained. And you can get physically. I played football from the age of eight until 22. Okay, Whatever, however many years that is. What's that, 16 years, something like that? I played football from 8 to 22, 14 years. 14. And, and I, the most exhausted I ever was in a football field doesn't even come close to the exhaustion of teaching a class of adults for eight hours and the exhaustion of being a parent. Not even close. So the physical, maybe if you're a marathon runner, you, you, you know something different, but the physical exhaustion that happens because of the drain stress puts on you, it's life-changing for the worse. I want to make it, and I would like you to make it, is a better way to say it. I would like you to make it life-changing for the better. One, because it matters to you and the people you care about. Two, because it gives you a competitive advantage that I don't think most coaches are going to really go after. If you have more energy physically because you have better energy emotionally and stress doesn't trigger negative things in you like it does against your competitor, 
you're going to make better decisions. Your players are going to trust you more. Your coaches are going to align with you better. You're going to have a lot more endurance through the season. And you're going to be physically healthier, which only benefits you and everybody around you. And frankly, you're going to enjoy it more. You're going to sleep better. And you're going to have more fun. And I think that's such an important topic. I'm glad you brought all of this up today, Brian, because I think because of the stress of, the, of this game, too many guys maybe shorten their career or get out of this too soon. And, and I would say this, for this game to remain strong, we know it's under attack. You and I have talked about that on this podcast. I've talked about that with numerous coaches on this podcast. We need great coaches. We need great people in this game. And obviously, I think people taking the time uh, to listen to a podcast like this where we're trying to bring some of the best people together, some of the best ideas together, um, do want to remain in this game and be a part of it. So um, I would encourage them to go back through and listen to this podcast again. I think there's just some great tips there that you really need to absorb and put into action. So I thank you for sharing with the, those with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and I'll... I'll close with this and, and we can wrap up. I'll, I'll just close with this, Keith. I, I have a Navy SEAL who works for my company. Uh, his name is Scott Daly, lives in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he's a tremendous guy. Uh, I, I love him dearly. And I appreciate the world that they operate in, not because we are Navy SEALs or we want to mimic their world. Or, and I think too many coaches try to do that personally. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, what I am interested in is I'm interested in the practices of the elite, okay, and in any, in any environment. I don't care if you're a banker or a Navy SEAL or a, an Olympian. If you're elite and you have something that works, I want to learn something from you. And so Navy SEALs spend as much, if not more time, studying and practicing and training their emotions as any other activity that they do. And I'll tell you this, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. You will never have real discipline in your life until you have real discipline in your mind and in your heart. You, you never have true freedom in your life until you have true freedom in your emotions. The person who's trapped by that, that default voice in their head, it, they're not free. They're a prisoner of their own impulses or habits or need for what's comfortable for them. The person who chooses to build discipline and pay attention to that discipline voice and build it up in their head, that person's free. That person is a creator of their own intention and their own skill. You know, we, we, we talk about it. To compete and win, you build physical strength and speed and endurance and flexibility and skill. So for you as both a person and a coach, to perform at elite levels and to win at elite levels, you need to build mental strength and mental speed and mental endurance, mental flexibility and mental skill, both in how you process emotions and how you handle stress because neither one of those things are going away. Brian, we're going to continue our conversation next week um, around the idea of training and making time for learning. You know, how do you continue to learn during the season as a coach? So before we go here, Brian, let our, let our listeners know how they can connect with you. Yeah, come reach out, connect, and find me on Instagram, at tbriankite. That's Brian with an I, and last name is K-I-G-H-T. You're going to be doing some, uh, a lot of really fun, cool stuff. So come, uh, come connect. Great job, BK. Look forward to next week. 